0: Good day, my friends, and welcome to another moment, a Black History Moment with Bo. And today, I hope that love blossoms for you. I hope you see it in the eyes of your spouse or your children or anyone for that matter, because there's no greater feeling than knowing that one is loved. But before we slip into darkness today, I gotta tell you that I truly, truly do not like Black History Month. And why is that, you ask? That's because when I turn on my television this month, I see all of these things about black people. I see all of these things that we have accomplished and we are doing. Yesterday, I saw a story of black women quilting in the state of Alabama. Now, they have been showing white women quilting on television for a long time, on a regular basis. But where did quilting come from? What is its origin? Now, I might be wrong. But I just cannot see the master's wife sitting down with a few of her friends sewing a quilt. I mean, the master sat on the veranda drinking mint juleps and taking care of his books while his slaves did everything. So I just imagine all the quilts that they slept under during that time Was made by black hands. So I'm just saying all these black stories and all of these accomplishments that black people have done is thrown upon us in the month of February. But soon as the first of March comes around, it's as though, okay, we've given you your 15 minutes of fame now know your place and my friends this is just my opinion and my feelings so let's take the rest of this time and slip into darkness with some convict leasing you know slavery did not end after the civil war And this is how John Davis became a slave. He was walking one evening from the train depot in Goodwater, Alabama. Now, we might have shared DNA because I have a whole lot of relatives in Goodwater, Alabama. But anyway, when a white man appeared in the road, a nigger, he demanded, have you got any money? The white man, being Robert Franklin, was a constable. He claimed Mr. Davis owed him. This was news to Mr. Davis. I don't owe you anything, he said. But what he said did not matter. He was arrested that night and convicted. A wealthy landowner, John Pace, Paid the alleged $40 debt and a $35 fine in exchange for Mr. Davis's mark. Mr. Davis was illiterate. And on a contract binding him to work 10 months at any task, Mr. Pace demanded. For all intentions and purposes, the one man now owned the other. For all intents and purposes, John Davis was John Pace's slave. This, my friends, was September 1901, 36 years after the end of the Civil War. Now, this would be appalling if it had happened just once, but it happened hundreds of thousands of times in Alabama alone. I did not know about the so-called convict leasing system of the south whereas poor black men were routinely snatched up and tried on false petty or non-existent charges by complaint courts assessed some fine they could not afford and then sold for the cost of that fine to some mine turpentine farm or plantation, with the money going back to the judges and sheriffs. I did not know that when men served their time, they were sometimes subject to prompt re-arrest on even flimsier charges, such as that of stealing the jailhouse clothes they walked out in. I did not know that the system was so elaborate that businesses could put in orders with local shares to arrest the number of men they needed. I did not know about black men chained up in swamps and workhouses, held under armed guards, fed gruel, worked beyond human endurance, beaten beyond human decency, subjected to cruelties that made antebellum slavery seem merciful by comparison. After all, in the antebellum years, a slave represented an investment of up to $2,000. But in this new economy, slave labor was cheap, which made slave life cheaper still. Some people say white men were openly buying and selling black men under this system until after World War II. And it is too fanciful to draw a straight line from that perversions of the justice system to six black kids charged with attempted murder in Jenna, Louisiana for jumping on a white boy or to dozens of black men and women Lined into jail by a fake cop in Tulia, Texas. Or to Marcus Dixon sentenced to 15 years for having sex with a white girl near Atlanta. Or to studies documenting the systematic racism of the nation's cops and courts. There is a fundamental culture of skepticism, cynicism, fear of the judicial system among African Americans. And here is a fact check. Southern states use convict leasing to force black people into unpaid labor. You see, black codes or laws specifically for black people were used to criminalize many aspects of everyday life for black citizens and create harsher sentences for petty crimes. Alabama, Texas, Louisiana, Arkansas, Georgia, Mississippi, Florida, Tennessee, and South Carolina were st- southern states that used leasing convicts after ratification of the 13th Amendment ended slavery. Huge numbers of convicts, primarily black males, many of whom had been legally but unjustly in prison, often on trumped-up charges, were leased by governments across the South to various businesses in search of a source of cheap labor. You see, my friends, the convict leasing system exploited a clause in the 13th Amendment to provide a basis for involuntary servitude. The 13th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution states, Neither slavery nor involuntary servitude except as a punishment for crime whereof the party shall have been duly convicted shall exist within the United States' or any place subject to its jurisdiction. And that, my friends, put black labor into the hands of the judicial system. And states hired hundreds of white men as police officers to assist with the business of arresting black people. And this is why Modern-style American policing finds its origin in slave patrols developed by white slave owners. The entire complex of black codes was enforced by police apparatus and judicial systems in which blacks enjoyed virtually no voice whatsoever. Whites staffed urban police forces, as well as state militias. A black Mississippian in 1865 said it was to keep good order and discipline among the black population. The police just sought out and arrested black people who were violating black codes and then turned around and leased these people, men, women, and children, to plantations, coal mines, or railroad companies. And the business or plantation owners paid the state for every prisoner who worked for them. You see, once the plantation owners or businesses or whatever it is, pays the fine for the blacks, then that throws the entire responsibility of caring for the convicts over to to the hands of the leasee whose only interest was the profit that he could make from their labor. So here's the scam in a nutshell. The policeman would arrest you. Then the courts would fine and sentence you. The plantation owner would come and pay the fines and take the responsibility for you from the state and then he would work you until he determined when the fine was paid off. At least 200,000 Americans were subjected to convict leasing system in Alabama alone. Over the 80-year period before the system was formally ended in 1941, tens of millions were either forced to live on a farm in a lumber camp, or forced into convict leasing by the justice system. Local courts were able to force people into any type of labor until a fine was paid. Any person sentenced to time in a county jail for a misdemeanor or a petty offense could also be forced into labor. PH is framed as an example of systematic racism or racism established and perpetrated by government systems, systems and structures that have procedures or processes that disadvantages African Americans. Black people were overwhelmingly the victims of the convict leasing system after the Civil War. Laws were passed to create the basis for arresting black people for a variety of small offenses, or in some instances, for moving freely within the state without a written permission from an employer. Friends, I have stated before that my roots go all the way back to the state of Alabama. I have hundreds of relatives there. In Goodwater, Alabama had mines, and I have no doubt that some of my relatives did not find their way into those mines because the city's too small and my family's too large. But five days after the bombing of Pearl Harbor, convict leasing was over in the state of Alabama. That was in 1941, and my dad caught a train in 1942. Well, friends, that music tells me that it is once again that time. But I leave you with this thought. You never know what results will come from your actions. But if you do nothing, there will be no results. Until next time, it has been my honor.